moving your career further faster. That's the mission behind Cascading Leadership. Each week, we're bringing you stories of women, immigrants, members of the global majority who have risen to the ranks of senior leadership in the world of business. Get ready to gather the insights of some of the world's best business leaders and apply those to your career. If you're interested in sales and marketing effectiveness, organizational effectiveness, talent strategy, DEI, or HR tech, tune in. We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. All right, welcome to the first episode of Cascading Leadership. I am Jim Kenitrill, and I'm here with my co-host. I am Lawrence Brown. Hello, Lawrence Brown. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm good. It, it feels like we should be having like Michael Buffer do his thing, but obviously for budget reasons, we can't have uh, budget and trademark reasons. We can't do that. But uh, we've known each other for forever. A very and long time. Yeah. And hell, we didn't even know what a podcast was. That's how long ago we met. I don't even think a podcast may have been out at the time or the technology was being used in any sort of a fashion that it is today. So yeah, it's been a while. We don't want to go uh, too far down this road because uh, it's not going to be an HR friendly conversation at that point. <laughs> it's not that kind of show anyways. So I, I guess when we, when we think about that, I think one of the things that I was wondering about, we followed each other's careers for a really long time. We've seen each other go through different companies and stuff like that. One of the things that got me interested in potentially doing something like this is that we've learned a lot of things over the years. And I don't know about you, but a lot of my experience has just been kind of trial by error and figuring things out as I go. And that stuff works, but you know, it, it's a grind if you're trying to do stuff fast. And yeah. it's interesting. We came up in a culture and an environment where it was up or out. And right. we had that ingrained in us. And sometimes I think back and, uh, and wonder, maybe if I wasn't so impatient in, if I didn't get up, I was like, all right, on to the next thing. Where would my career be if I stuck it out? Some of my peers at the time had. So it's an interesting journey. It's one of those if I knew then what I knew now, what would I be doing differently? Oh, absolutely. I, I think I, the environment that we were in was predicated on a while an, an amazing training program. A lot of it was also uh, baptism by fire and learning some of the things that we learned. And I, when I think about me from a leadership standpoint, I also looked at what were the elements. One of the things that one of my mantras to this day as a leader is that you have to make mistakes and you have to ask questions. And one of the reasons is because I had a leader who I had gone out on assignment. I had come back with uh, contracts. I think I'd written con 12 contracts that day. We were responsible for getting sales off of those contracts. And I had missing information on one of them. And so my leader was going through each one, peeling through, and found the missing information and absolutely flipped out. It didn't give me an opportunity to explain or anything. And in that moment, I thought about Actually, I did think about leadership because I thought that's something that I'm not going to do as a leader. I'm not going to freak out on my employee and I want them to feel like they can open up to me. And so when you give people license to make mistakes or get things wrong and ask questions, 
Two things come to the surface. One is that if they're making mistakes, you know that they're trying. And if they're asking questions, they're naturally inquisitive. And I think that we've kind of learned those things along the way. Like you mentioned, we, we've stayed in contact and we laugh a lot about you know, some of the learns that we've gotten. And really a lot of it has been by way of observation, looking at what our, what situation were we in, what dynamic were we facing and we were adapting. I think one of the things that we have benefited from is that both of us actually are avid readers and that's helped us quite a bit. Yeah. You said a few things that just caught my attention when we were talking about it. So obviously nobody knows us from anybody. This is the first time we're doing this show, but for those folks that uh, are tuning in, I actually used to work for Lawrence and yep. there was a couple of things that he mentioned that stuck with me throughout my career in my first interview with him. So this was the, I'd gone through the HR stage, HR interview stage, and then you meet potentially the area manager that you're supposed to work for. So I met Lawrence and here I am, I pretty early in my career, don't know anything. And I think one of the first sentences out of Lawrence's mouth is the reason why the reason is it's all tied to performance. And when you evaluate things on that basis, this stuff doesn't wash off. Mm -hmm. So all that matters is what you produce. And that was, that, that was something that stuck with me throughout my career. And I've had the opportunities to, to build teams. And I don't know if intentional is the right word, but whenever I'd have, I was always about building teams that represent the community or look like the communities that you serve, but just Absolutely. diverse and just diverse in general, because I don't want a monochromatic team. And for people that look like me or similar to me, I would have that conversation. I was like, Hey, I'm, if I hire you, I'm hundred percent invested in where your career goes. And ultimately I know that there's going to be certain challenges that you face because this stuff doesn't wash off that mm -hmm. other people won't have to face. Go in there with your eyes open and you're going to be evaluated on your performance. The other, so knowing that up front, I don't know if that's necessarily appropriate in today's culture or today's world, but I think it's an important message to say out loud um, because you don't have to guess, Hey, what is this guy that I'm working for about? But the other part that was, that was impactful when, when I was going through that hiring process and I didn't, this is the first time that you actually told me that story about your manager flipping out because you missed yep. one thing. The other thing that you mentioned, and one of the other people that I worked with toy, he, who also reported into you, he mentioned the same thing. Like we were consistent as an organization and I've carried that throughout my career when I've built my teams short of you doing something that is bad for the company, bad for the customer. Absolutely. And on a, there isn't a mistake that you can make that we can't fix. If you can yeah, answer. If, if you were, yeah. If you remember, I think the, the, the quote that, that I used back then, which was very important was as long as we don't lie, cheat or steal, everything else is fair because the ethical part of it is absolutely is important. And I think that's all about the transparency the sense of loyalty, uh, the sense of trust that you have in a leader. And I'll never forget that was, there was another situation where I was writing contracts and I had learned this tactic from another manager. I was in his, I was in his office working for the weekend, Friday and a Saturday, and we learned how to do something that was not necessarily the most ethical thing to do, but it was profitable. And I didn't know at the time, no, I, I legitimately did not know that it was unethical to do it. And when I went back to my branch, 
my my originating branch. I was all excited. I was doing whatever that thing was. And my manager came in and saw it and actually asked me, you know, what was I doing? Where did I get it from? And I told him all with all this excitement, we're making money. And he broke it down and explained to me, which takes me to another point about being naturally curious and naturally inquisitive about what it is that we do. Because then from that point, he flipped out on me too, but it was in a way that was different. Like he was just saying, do you understand what could have happened if someone had realized that we were doing X? And I went, wow, no, I didn't. And I felt really bad about it because I felt like I was hurting, I was hurting the team and that I had let him down as a leader. But very quickly, he said, now that you don't do it. And he went on about his business and we just kept going. So that's why I said, that was a mistake that I made. I didn't know. And he just moved forward. And so I think that's, I I kept seeing the reinforcement for the belief in allowing people to make mistakes and ask questions for sure. Yeah. And it's an interesting dynamic that both of us first got exposed to each other. Because on the one hand, what made it really great was if you adhere to the three principles, if it's good for the customer, if it's good for the company and it's ethical, go and do it. You have wide latitude to do what you want. And then on the other hand, you and I both know we work for people who said, if something goes sideways, Mm -hmm. your first response when questioned about it is to deny, deny, deny. (laughs) (laughs) And, and like, I was, I was in my mid twenties at that time. And I'm like, how does this make sense? So do you have my back and do I have the freedom to make mistakes that are mistakes of aggression? or being Mm -hmm. aggressive versus lazy or a liar or cheater, or do you not have my back? And is it just constant CYA mode and just fly under the radar? So it was, it was an interesting kind of like, how do you navigate something like that as somebody that's pretty new in, in your career? That's a a tough nut to crack. It is. And I think you'd be surprised that I, over the years, I've learned that a lot of people are, have been in that situation, are consistently in that situation. And, and those are, to me, those are the elements that really test your metal and help you to determine whether or not, what kind of leader are you going to be? And really, honestly, what kind of human you're going to be, because you have to look and make the decision. I think quite honestly, if I had done what some of my peers had done, that I could have climbed faster and gotten further in my career, but I just never thought that it was worth it. I wanted to be able to lay my head down at night and know that I was good at what I did and I didn't have to cut any corners. And I was, right? But the other thing that, that, I, that, that comes to mind, Jim, is that you're being really modest because if you remember, I always hire people who I think have something that I don't, right? Or I think will surpass my level of success. And you were one of those people. Like it was for me when, we, when I first met you, when we interviewed I just had a deep appreciation for the drive that you had. You asked a ton of questions. And I know, I think at the beginning, you used to apologize for like, man, I know I'm asking a lot of questions. And I'm like, nope, I I want people to ask questions. And based off the number of questions that you asked and the quality of the questions that you asked, it's also an element that I think is extremely important as we ascend in an organization that you're asking these high quality questions that help leadership to actually determine Hey, I think I have someone here who has a high potential. Yeah, yeah I appreciate you saying that. I, I've had decades of being a nerd. So asking or yeah, that's, that's a nerd to nerd then. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, sometimes I feel like I'm a toddler 
just harassing their mom going, why, why, why all the time? And I, it's, it hasn't, I, I hesitated in asking so many questions because you know, sometimes people just want to move on. And unless I have a good understanding of what is it that we're trying to accomplish and how are we trying to accomplish it and what are the implications, yeah. I'm not going to move forward until I have it satisfied in my head. Now, I think, but I think one of the ways that you remediate that too, though, is, is that sometimes when people are, are, are naturally inquisitive like that. Today, we, we didn't have this necessarily. The internet was there back when we were a team, but it wasn't what it is today. And so now you have the ability to, to hack a lot of the concerns that you're talking about. You can go and research external, you can benchmark, and you can do all that fairly quickly with the use of the internet. So I think for those that are naturally inquisitive, just remember all the different tools that you have uh, at your ready to be able to suffice in answering all the questions that you may have. And then that way, if there is some concern or fear where you work in an organization or work with a leader who may not necessarily appreciate a person who's naturally inquisitive, because we're not all wired the same way. And I, and I get that. It's just like a lot of times I, I am naturally an introverted person. And so when I have people who are like real close talkers and, and will go on and on, I've developed the ability to recognize neurodiversity as well. That might be the way that person is processing the information. And as a result, I have to allow them that, even though I may be uncomfortable in that moment, I know that I can at least table it long enough to honor what that person is trying to convey or share. I, I don't know about you, but you just dropped some breaking news on me. I had no idea after all these years of knowing you that you're an introvert. Yeah, I spend, I spend most of my time in my basement office and on computers and I'm an avid reader, so I read a lot. And I think why a lot of people may not think that I'm an introvert is because I gather as much information as I possibly can because I enjoy sharing that information. So in that way, I do like connecting with people, but in order for me to recharge, be at my best, I do need time away from others just to be able to process information, to think things through, and sometimes just to veg out and do you know absolutely nothing. But Definitely, I would say that my, my computers and my books are definitely my solace. They're my ability to take a chill and process information and then be able to get back at it. Yeah, I'm definitely an introvert. Interesting. You mentioned something that caught my attention a second ago, compared it, comparing the era that we came up in. And I know people are going to be sitting in here listening to this or watching this going back in my day, but we weren't that far removed from the time where you had that annoying noise when you needed to connect to the internet. So that's yeah. when we came up and, and the, yeah. the volume of stuff that you could figure out on your own was pretty yeah. limited. Mm -hmm. Google was in its infancy. But with that being said, I think one of the things that, that, that got me going on, Hey, maybe this is something that we need. Both of us are highly ed educated. We have advanced degrees. We have multiple advanced degrees. Yep. And like from an optics perspective, we're all, we've done all the things that you're supposed to do from a career perspective that mirror what senior executives profiles look like. We've always mm -hmm. been top producers. We've always been pretty well centered. So there's some debate on whether being morally centered is a plus or minus when it comes to climbing the ladder, but yeah. we'll, we'll leave that aside for a different day. Advanced degrees, all of this sort of stuff. And not that I have some level of dissatisfaction on where I'm at, but it goes to your point. If we had done things the way that some of our peers had done it, yeah. 
we probably would have been further along. And I don't necessarily know if that, I, I don't think that's an ethics related thing, but I've mm -hmm. always felt like somebody that's on the outside looking in thinking, hey, there's a roadmap to climbing faster that mm -hmm. I don't have. And mm -hmm. I need to figure out what that is. And that was the little seed or grain of sand that started getting behind my eyelid that started the process of, yeah. of hey, maybe this is something that we need to do where yep. we get, we share the stories of people that, who are like us, immigrants, women, people of color who have climbed the lessons yep. that they've learned and then pass that on to the next group so that they can yep. progress faster. And, and that was the genesis of the conversation that you and I had is that there's a whole bunch of stuff that they don't teach you in business school that probably is worth figuring out or, or sharing with the world. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great point because this is one of the things that, you know, having an MBA and having known quite a few people who do other advanced degrees, I think the reality is that when you think about it, this, the, the cultural nuances are something that we aren't necessarily always privy to. And I think that those are some of the, those are some of the barriers for, I could quote probably maybe five or six books off the top of my head that talk about this from the standpoint of whether or not you are a person of color, whether or not you are a woman, there are these cultural nuances that we have to be aware of and we may not necessarily know. Because for example, I was actually having a conversation with a senior executive one time, and I had shared with him that I had just enrolled in the MBA program. And his response was, well, why are you doing that? If you, look at our, if you look at our leadership, the majority of them don't have an MBA. And I said, I actually thought the conventional thought was, was that an MBA was an important tool to have in order for you to get to the next level. And his response was, he said, it might be, he said, but networking has served me better than an MBA, which is why I thought never to get an MBA. Well, one of the one of the factors there is that his network probably looks very different than mine. And that's one of the cultural nuances where networking, and I, I, I fathom myself as a person who is a master connector. I know a lot of people. I'm always connecting people. I'm always having conversations with people because I do believe that networking is important. And oftentimes when I'm networking for the ability to be able to share that information with other people, who are perhaps junior in their career to me, that will help them actually to move up. And as a leader, what I try to be is the person that I needed when I was coming up. And when you and I talked about this, this is like really the other part of this impetus is that we know so much now, we've had the ability to show up our skill sets from an academic standpoint, but as well as all of the relationships that we've been able to build and just glean in all of the the correlations, the intersectionality of the conversations that we've been having. And I think that's why I'm excited that we actually we're doing this, right? Because our goal is to share as much information and to, here's the plug, cascade as much information as possible about leadership so that it will have the ability to help others, right? The guests that we'll be bringing on and talk about what their experiences have been. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah, it's a nice plug, by the way, you should do some voiceover work or something like that. <laughs> you, you must be a pro at this. So what's what caught my attention when you just mentioned it about your MBA story, and, and this keeps happening throughout my interactions when I'm actually trying to bring people onto the show, hmm. is you had a leader and said, 
why do you need to do that? I had something very similar happen when I uh, was starting the process of, I, I don't know if I'd already started or if I was going through the process, but I've always been in a sales organization and yep. I've always been at a high production level. And part of my research process was to, to, to gather data. And that's not really relevant to what you were talking about, but we were in, in this particular scenario, we were in a morning meeting a morning huddle and the leader that I reported into after I talked about what was going on with certain accounts and, and where they were progressing, he moved to, there was a comment that was said that was along the lines of, Hey, you don't need to overthink some of the things that are going on within your accounts. You don't need a PhD to figure this out. And I didn't recognize it at the time. Like it completely flew over my head because you know me, it's like stuff like that, just whatever. But I had three people on the team come back to me, like after the fact, and it's like, did you hear what was said? And I was like, no, what are you talking about? So in the moment I wasn't upset by it, but then it started eating away at me. And I put that into context throughout my career. And I'm sure you've had this happen too where if you're bringing insights or you're drawing insights into whatever's going on, there's a risk that you assume being the louder than what's acceptable or the smarter than what's acceptable brown person who is saying a thing. And it's, and it's especially weird um, for me because I'm a first generation immigrant. I'm from India. So yeah. I came in that assimilation culture. I never really considered myself anything other than full out American. And then I look at different spaces throughout my life where it's just, mm-hmm. hey, I can say the same thing that somebody else can say, but it automatically gets construed a different way because I'm the one that's saying it. And I was like, oh, what's the yeah. story behind that? Um, you bring up a good point, though, because see, this is one of those examples of that cultural nuance that you just called out, which is a big one. Oftentimes, people from ethnically diverse backgrounds and women oftentimes will lose sight of the fact that you're exactly right. It's, it's not the fact that it's not what you said. It was the fact that you were the person who said it, if that makes sense. And that's something that we don't necessarily process. And if we don't, if we don't catch that gap very quickly, the other part that is, that is a, a potentially damaging aspect of your career means that if you didn't, if you didn't catch that slight slight, it also means that you could be missing out on other sorts of microaggressions because that's what that is. That's a microaggression. And then it hurts your career because you don't think anything of it. And it's probably in, in our mind from, again, ethnically diverse populations or women, we're going, oh, well, it's probably good that I didn't see it or it's probably good that I didn't recognize it. But on the flip side, again, you have to be careful because the person made the statement is the person that's also making the observation is also the person that has the potential to impact your career. And in those public slights that happen, it also is potentially damaging to your reputation. So now, for example, in that instance, it could have been the cast, the casting of light to be like, oh, Jim is the person that always thinks that he's the smartest person in the room. But we don't know what the we don't know what the impact is of the statement that's being made. And so that's the cultural, you know, part of that cultural nuance 
that makes it truly unfortunate. And unless, like you said, someone else came and brought it to your attention, I'm curious to know if the part, if the folks that said, "Hey, did you catch that?" actually would have, you know, perhaps been able to identify. They actually, no, you answered the question right because they actually identified, knew what it was, and you didn't necessarily know that. So, no, yeah, the it, cultural nuance thing is big. There's part of me that always wants to make a snide remark at, at something, but I, I think about it and I kind of examine how I cadence what I say. Yeah. Because I've gotten in the habit because people perceive what I say a certain way, because I always mm -hmm. have a serious face. And even though I don't think I'm loud, I apparently sound loud. So I always have to like preface and conclude everything that I say with these bookends about, hey, I'm saying this because I want to understand, not because I'm pissed off about something. And I'm not, I'm talking with my hands because I talk with my hands, not because I'm angry and I'm like, uh, my voice might be loud, but that's because I'm passionate about this topic, not because I'm about to blow my stack. Mm -hmm. And I had one of my, I've actually had a couple of, of people throughout my career pull me aside and say, dude, why are you constantly kneecapping yourself like that? Just say the thing and move on. Yes. Yeah, so I was bursting at the seams to tell you that's, that is exactly spot on that, again, the cultural nuances is that we will do that. that. That is not uncommon for ethnically diverse folks and for women as well to actually do that. But if you think and you play it back, that doesn't generally, that doesn't generally happen in, in the open, in open spaces, right? People say what they say, they mean what they mean, they go about their business. And I'll tell you an interesting thing. One of the things that I've learned over the years that I've had to do, which I don't necessarily feel proud about, but it has helped me to be more successful because I keyed in on this, is that, so I mentioned that I'm an introverted person because that's who I am, but I have gone into environments and literally will say to people that I'm meeting for the first time in a group, like if it's a team that I'm working with for the first time, hey, just want to let you know, I am someone who is naturally introverted. So I will do, I'll spend a good amount of my time listening, taking in the information. And then once I acclimate and I've gotten the information, then I'm, I'm definitely going to have some thoughts, ideas, suggestions. So I just want to make sure that you are aware I'm pretty passionate. So I do all of that because early in my career, literally, I was asked by one of my vice presidents in an organization. I was really passionate about something that we were talking about. And after the meeting, he pulled me to the side and he was like, hey, are you okay? And I looked at him like, yeah, what are you talking about? You seem like you were pretty intense in there. I just wanted to make sure you didn't, you know, have the Mike Tyson disease. I'm like, what? And literally said, you know, what, why are you so angry at is that normal for you? And, and I'm like, so of course I know what he means. He's asking, do I have the angry black man syndrome? And I, it was amazing to me because I was acting in the exact same way everybody else. But trust and believe I was the only one that was pulled out and pulled to the side and asked this question. And so it brings me to another point about when people will say or try and be dismissive of what, what happened, what happened to me. I'm like, oh, well, you know, probably, probably. No, it happened enough in my career that I had to create a preamble coming into a new environment, and it helped me to be more successful. Another example is I was working for a leader, and I had told her that 
I was accustomed to moving up fairly quickly in organizations because I come in, I learn, I adapt, and then I execute. So I get promoted fairly quickly and that had not been happening. I wanted her honest opinion as to why that was. And she said, I don't know. I, and I'm like, you can say it. I'm like, I am not going to go run the HR. I'm not going to ball up in a fetal position and cry. What I need to know is what is impeding my ability to progress because it's affecting my mental health because I literally, I, at that point in time in my career, I was tying my ability to move with success and success being whether or not I was doing the right things, quite frankly, take care of my family, right? So she said that she gave me some things like, for example, when you come into meetings, you start meetings on time. And I'm like, yes, but I explained to her that I had come from a culture that if you were 15 minutes early, you were already late. And you know that culture because we worked in that culture. So yep. we were all about being on time. And sometimes we had leaders who would literally get there. I'll never forget. There was one, we had a big meeting and we had a leader that got there literally probably 30 minutes before the meeting and just decided to start the meeting. So people that actually got there 15 minutes till were getting lambasted as they were coming in because they were interrupting the speaker who had started, who started speaking, who was one of our leaders who was speaking 15 minutes earlier or 30 minutes earlier than the actual time frame. So that I explained that to her and she's like, well, you know, when you start and when you have the meetings, you don't do any small talk. And I said, well, I thought that was being respectful of people's time. And they're like, oh no, here in this culture, you ask how the kids are doing, you ask how the weekend went or whatever. I'm like, okay, that's fair. Not something that I generally did, but okay, I can adapt to that. And then she said, and then the other thing is that you never smile. And I'm like, when I see people walking down the hallway, I don't see them smiling either. What do you mean? And again, at this point in my career, I'm acutely aware of everything that they're saying and reading between all the lines. But the thing that I was careful to make sure to do was to thank her for telling me the information, whether or not I liked it. But because I understood it, I then was able to create some tools to offset what was happening. So sometimes we have to be courageous enough to take the information that we may not necessarily want and process that information without getting offended, without freaking out. And I know that's oftentimes easier said than done. And everybody has their own personal journey. But I know that what I have seen and what I have helped in coaching people with is, is that getting past some of the things that we, we may sometimes, sometimes take personal and use those as tools, as a catalyst to get to where we want. Geez, there's a lot there. I, again, me being me, I have to joke at the fact that my experience is a little bit different than yours. Well, actually, it's going to be significantly different because you as a Bahamian and me as, as an Indian have two separate sort of paths. But yep. I think one, one interesting thing that we have common ground on is that more often than not, we have these really wide extremes of how we're perceived. We're mm -hmm. either the magic brown person that comes in and just fixes everything like Bagger Vance or whatever, or we are the angry brown person that needs some sort of intervention. And it's rare that there's some sort of middle ground. So it's interesting how it's, uh, it's similar. And I know that we're touching on some third rail stuff, but you know, it's not anything that we haven't talked about before. Yeah. I think that the reality though is that when we talked about the, the podcast in general, when we talked about the show was part of it is, is that we're, we actually aren't having these conversations and that, and that's, what's making it somewhat challenging. That's why we have 
a huge number of people out there that feel like they aren't getting it right and they aren't getting it done. And oftentimes nothing can be further from the truth. Or it could be that we have to identify, we have to understand what are the impediments, either either self-inflicted or from a societal standpoint or a cultural standpoint. And all of those oftentimes are true. For example, when we make the decision, like I said, the tools that I used, it, it could be that folks were saying maybe that person is more insecure because they feel like they have to explain who they are. But what I realized was that for me and what my experiences were, was that I was already being counted out and I wasn't necessarily aware of it. And that's why I started asking questions and not taking it personal, whatever the answer was going to be. Because again, I was predicated on, and you know this about me, I could care less who gets credit. I care about outcome, right? Because it's the outcome that's going to determine whether or not I move to the next level. So oftentimes, again, in the culture that we were in, you saw it real time. I, I was strapped with people who weren't necessarily deemed as talented in other parts of the organization. And by the time they were done being a part of our organization, our team, they were good. And the reality is that I took the time to try and figure out what it was that motivated those individuals. I could care less what they look like. I needed, I, frankly, I needed the performance from them. I needed them to have more confidence in themselves. And so I worked as diligently as possible to make sure that everybody as a part of my team had that, right? And if I had someone who didn't necessarily pull their weight and we gave every effort to try and help them, I think you, again, you know this because you've heard all these stories, is that I am confident in the fact and feel really good about the fact that I have never fired a single person in my career as a leader. They fired themselves because I gave them every opportunity. I was transparent. I was candid. And so I, I feel good that as long as my career has been, that I still feel confident that's the case. But that takes a lot of observing and making, making tough decisions about yourself, with yourself, with others, to be able to look at it and say, okay, what, where, where, can I, where can I improve? And sometimes the reality is that for me, I was like, okay, well, I'm getting too caught up in X, Y, Z, and this is where my focus needs to be. And then other times I recognized that someone was literally roadblocking me and I had to figure out a way to get around that. Yeah. And you're lucky in that the person that you reached out to going back to your earlier conversation about, hey, what's keeping me from moving ahead, that they actually shared that information with you. 90% of the time you can ask that question and they won't tell you. Like yeah. it, 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 it'll be some vague general thing. And you're in limbo trying to figure stuff out. And I talk to people constantly. And part of the justification for this show is to share out those cliff notes. I don't even know if that's a relevant reference mm -hmm. at this point, but. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, like, I like to call the, the either, either like the hack code, yeah. right? Like how do we, the things that we don't know, but that they can accelerate our lives. They can accelerate our leadership. They can accelerate our ability to do whatever it is that we want to do. Yeah. And I, I think the opportunity even to have a constructive conversation over what some of those third rail things would be is going to be productive too. Because I think one of the, one of the things that, that I've seen happen is that people have forgotten the ability to, or forgotten how to have, you know, constructive conversations about any number of things. It's, oh, you're right. I'm, you're wrong. I'm right. And there's most of the world is 
pretty gray. So there are yeah. no absolutes where somebody has like a, a monopoly on what the right point of view is. And I think that's an important thing too, because frankly, just think back to how we came up in our careers. Most of the stuff that we were taught is just BS. Just think about it. If you keep your head down, if you work hard, you perform well, <laughs> and you, you, you break your neck to hustle, yeah, you're going to go yeah. further than everybody else. And what has Generation Z taught the rest of the world? What they've yeah. taught the rest of the world is probably the, the biggest truth that everybody has learned right now. There, it makes zero sense to go that hard for a yeah. job where if you drop dead tomorrow, they'll have you replaced in a week. Absolutely. But, but we came in the era where we were made to feel guilty if we weren't like going all out. And then the minute something goes wrong, it's like, oh, you got to get rid of that guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I had shared with someone today, actually, uh, the conversation about when, because I hear like a, a lot of, in, in my current role, I hear a lot of, you know, conversations about, you know, what Gen Z, they don't do this, and millennials, they don't do that. And what I oftentimes remind people of is, is that the generational piece is really about, for the most part, if you think about every generation viewed as the youthful generation always talks about what these upstarts and blah, 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 blah. But the reality is, is that what will hurt most careers and most evolutions of development is the, uh, the level of maturity. That, that's really what it boils down to. And so today, though, I was sharing with someone that when you look at, when you look at boomers, what Gen X, what we got from them, one of the things that we got from them was the idea that if you were to come, that you should have a sense of loyalty for the company that you work for. You should seek the goal of being there for 20, 30 years. And it worked for them because that is what the fabric of America was at that time. What happened was, though, in my humble opinion, is that over time, as society shifted, as business shifted, what we started to see is that companies started to understand that they don't necessarily have to keep someone for 20 years. And it was more profitable for them. And what happened was industry shifted. Gen X didn't. And so we still believe 20, 30 years. But guess what? Now we're caught in the middle. Now, millennials see it. And Gen Z certainly sees it. So there is no expectation, I think, globally, and not to be stereotypical, but I, I think they have a better understanding of industry and understanding that companies are like, hey, we'll throw more money at them and we'll keep them for five years if they stay five years. And so for Gen X, there, there is, I think, a sense of caught in the middle, so to speak, right? Where you are on the Gen X spectrum, you might be stuck with, nope, I still want to be there for 20 years. Good luck finding that company. Yeah. And then some believe that from a developmental standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, well, now I'm too old, air quotes, to, to move like a, a millennial or a Gen Z. But the reality is that if you look at statistically, you don't really have a choice, right? You, sh yeah. you should be shape-shifting. You should be making these necessary adjustments. And that's absolutely critical, I think, when you think about it from a leadership standpoint and moving up. Because, again, we will sit and say, oh, wow, that next opportunity, like you said, I've been working really hard and somebody's noticing. They're not noticing. They never have. Yep. 
And it's interesting, all the slack that Gen Z and uh, millennials get, because what, what, when those two generations were entering the workforce, what did we hear from our peers and also the people that were older than us that were mm -hmm. in hiring positions? They're entitled, they're lazy, they whine about everything, they have no work yeah. ethic, all this stuff. And actually, that stuff was said about us. And in gener that generational sniping goes back all the way to Plato and Aristotle. So I don't really Absolutely take it to the beginning. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't really put a whole lot of stock into it. But here's what's really interesting. If you look at the two generations that came up after us, and you look at when we came up in when we came up together, one of the core values that we came up together in was you're the CEO of your own desk, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are the two generations that are actually owning their agency of being their CEOs of their own desk? It's not, yeah. it's not Gen Xers, it's right. millennials and, and Generation Z. So yeah, and they're driving. The reality is that, like I said, now, last I checked in research that I read recently, who's the largest generation in the workforce now? So right. millennials, at, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And now Gen Z has entered, has entered the workforce. And so I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic because I think that the Gen Z is, is the generation that is 100% born digital. Yeah. And so they're putting even more pressure on millennials for this is what I want. This is what I, this is what I expect. And I think a lot of it has to do with access that they have to, to information, right? They're, they're the most knowledgeable generations, right? Because of the level of access that they have to information as a result of the, of the internet. And that's only going to continue to uh, move faster. And so again, I think that there, there are these opportunities where we, we can learn generationally and actually leverage, the, again, the tools. So I, I say that I'm an avid reader, but now... What we're doing podcasts is a, is a big influence on our, our society. Audiobooks are, you almost are mandated to be in a position if you want to continue to develop where you're utilizing all the tools at your capability. Yeah, it's when you look at one of the fundamental responsibilities of leadership is to share knowledge. And mm -hmm. if hold that to be true, you have to share it across every and any medium that people can consume it. Okay. And yeah. that's really the thing. Like, I don't, I don't really buy into the thing that you you reach an expiration date. It's what are you right. doing to take ownership or agency of your own career and drive it wherever you want to drive it. I think, I, I, I think we had planned on, on having a tight conversation and we've already gone past, past what we had planned to, but this gives a good flavor of all the different areas that we're going to, we're going to, we're going to touch on, we're going to touch on, Hey, what are the things that you aren't told that will help you get ahead faster? We're, mm -hmm. we're going to normalize the conversation about demanding, or at least expecting a bare minimum of things that you need to be successful and advance your own career. The self-sabotage, we're going to talk about, you know, what are the things that you can do there to get that out of your vocabulary? So it's going to be a pretty interesting topic and it's not going to be us talking about it. And this ties into the conference that I was at, there was seven or eight people that are just like us who are like, yeah, this is messed up. I, I need to find out how I can navigate this and, and impact change and do it faster because that's really why we're all doing the things that we're doing is because at some level, there's that passion component yeah. and 
I don't think many of us are, are just there to keep the lights on. That's not the wiring. So it should be yeah. a pretty, pretty interesting, uh, interesting journey. Yeah. I would say too, Jim, that what's interesting is that I've honestly not used the term passion in some time. And I tell you why it, it seems as though in a corporate environment, particularly when they say, when you say passion, they go, oh, it's like this emotional thing where, and I don't agree with that. But I, what I would say is that when you think of it from a drive perspective, there's more, it sounds like there's more intentionality. And I think that there is more intentionality that we are driven to accomplish whatever it is that we are, as opposed to passionate, because there's still such a negative connotation on the emotional draw, which is ridiculous because we're human beings and we are emotional creatures. We can say that we're, we're governed by logic and we should be to some degree, but we are also emotional creatures. But I would say that it's important to, it's important to, I think, reformat the language sometimes because then it allows for different people to hear it in a different way. So you have to sometimes have different approaches. But I think that the, the, the different elements that we've dipped into, we'll, we'll see absolutely come to fruition, as you mentioned, that they'll come to the fore when you hear from the guests that we'll have, because this is what people are talking about. This is what people are experiencing. We are truly recognizing. And I think that also, again, with the millennial and the uh, Gen Z, what's good about it is, is that one of the things that's, that's good about this is, is that I think that they're helped to driving this conversation, right? Because again, I think that this, when you're talking about the generational shifts, you're also talking about, again, that neurodiversity piece because they are processing information differently. And I think that there is an opportunity that we all can borrow from one another to, to make us all more solid. Yeah, that's fair. I'm not necessarily going to shy away from the passion language anyways, because when mm -hmm. I think about when it, it's weird, I never thought that I would be thinking in terms of legacy, but as soon as I had started having kids, I was like, man, yeah. what's the legacy that we're going to leave behind? And I look at it this way. Like you go through life and you're creating ripples around you and mm -hmm. you can decide whether those ripples are going to destroy the things around you or if it's going to, if it's going to move, set things in motion Absolutely. that other people can take advantage of. And that's really one of the intents here is how many ripples can we create in the ocean for people like us that are coming up behind us to accelerate mm -hmm faster and get to where they need to go faster. Because that's really like when we look at the why for me is that it's mm -hmm. how many other people are spending their twenties drifting around trying to figure stuff out. And if we can mm -hmm. just give them sort of the keys to the kingdom, everybody's going to be better off because yeah. that, what that means is that now my three sons, when they get to the age of being in the world of work, they're going to be entering into a, a much better place than theoretically that, that you and I did. So that's really right. the, the big thing. All right. That winds down kind of episode one, man. How do you think that went? Hopefully it doesn't sound like crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's a good overview of what it is that we'll be talking about. Hopefully folks will get from this, the level of excitement and commitment that we have to it. Like I said, we've lived it. I a hundred percent agree with you about the why, because I have two sons as well. And I even think about, right? Like when my son was, uh, was in college and the opportunity that you gave him. So I think that those are the sorts of things that he was able to see, though, to see a different perspective early on. 
And ironically, he's in that industry. So go figure. This is we oftentimes what we tell our what we tell our young people isn't necessarily as important as what we are showing. And so as a result, all that talking that we did back and forth and some of the funny conversations we would have about the way he was processing information or learning and all of that. And it turns out he's in that very industry. I think that there's no coincidence about that. Right? I think that he's someone that you're someone that he respects. I know that in conversations that we've had. And it's just important. And I think that's a great example of why the why matters. And so I'm looking forward to continuing the conversation and having our guests on that will hopefully continue to uh, draw this out and for other people to learn from it. On the, uh, on the topic of uh, looking forward to future episodes, what's coming up in episode two? Who's the featured guest? So I've... yeah, episode <laughs> two is going to be all about Lawrence Brown and yes. what, what this character is about and his story beyond what we just got into in episode one in our back and forth. So Stay tuned for that episode. It should be uh, pretty interesting. We're going to get into some uh, some areas that are going to be challenging and probably probably shed some light on how things would have been done differently at that point. But Absolutely. thanks for joining us uh, for episode one of Cascading Leadership. Make sure we will be distributing this across all podcast channels. So make sure you like, subscribe, leave comments, whatever it is that you do, and subscribe to our videos. Definitely want to get your feedback. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me at jim at cascadingleadership.com. Tune in next time for another great episode that will help you move your career further faster.